Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. How many of you, like me, thought the girl was going to eat the ice cream cone? It would have been harder to give the cone up than it would the dollar once you, you had it in your hand. The neat, just a nice little demonstration of generosity and, and, and sacrifice by these children. Um, the video doesn't show us how many children may have been actually challenged with this, and maybe some did not, you know, use the dollar like that. But we, we do know that the, the ones who did, they must have had a certain sense of security. They must have felt loved, and they must have known that someone was going to take care of them if they gave it away, that there'd be more for them, and they didn't have to, didn't have to hoard it. Uh, when I feel loved by a person, a being greater than myself that can supply my needs, I feel I'm more secure. I'm more free to be generous. And most of us that uh, have participated in the uh, Daring Faith series, we're wrapping up, uh, uh, you may have concluded now your small group, you may be finishing up your devotion, maybe you finished. I hope through this series you have come to feel more loved by God. You've come to know him better and uh, sense his goodness, his, his love for you, and you're ready to step out in uh, daring faith. If you'd like to follow along with the message this morning, there's an outline in your bulletin. If you'd like to use that, we'll give you those blanks, fill in those words as we go. And uh, there's also information on the bottom back of your outline. If you want to use your digital device, how you can use the Version Bible to follow uh, with that, that app. Today we're going to take a fresh look at the uh, topic of generosity and how it applies to uh, daring faith. And maybe a little different than uh, we typically do as we go through this. And I want to start by saying that there's a tendency to define generosity in fairly narrow terms, such as the use of money based upon outward actions. Yet God has a different focus when it comes to generosity. 1 Samuel 16 says, The Lord doesn't see things the way that you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. He's got a, a different focus when it comes to generosity. You may remember in the Gospels, I think it's both in Luke and Mark, it records the event where Jesus is by the temple and he's watching people put their money into the offering. And many wealthy people came by and they put large sums in them into the offering. And then comes this, this little widow woman, and she puts two small copper coins, right? And Jesus comments about her and commends her and honors her and said, she has put in more than all of them together. And the, the apostles must have been baffled by that. And he says, they gave out of their surplus. They just gave what was left over in extra. Even though it was a large sum, you know, it was the leftovers. But she gave out of her need. She gave all she had. It was from her heart. And that's what pleases God. God loves a cheerful giver. It's not the amount of it. It's what is in our heart. And rather than hindering our lifestyle, biblical generosity is actually a means by which we experience more freedom and more blessings that maybe we can even imagine. You know, we look at... Uh, uh, the principles this morning. We're going to look at four principles of biblical generosity. You're going to hear a personal illustration, and then there'll be three questions at the end, just for each of us we can ask ourselves about 
practicing biblical generosity. To begin with, we're going to talk about first principle is generosity flows to us from the heart of God. The root of generosity means abundance, and generosity flows to us from the heart of God. In Psalm 24, it says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. All creation, including you and me and everything we see, belongs to God. He made it, right? He made it. He has the authority and power to do with it what pleases him. And to our great benefit, he is loving toward us and kind and generous in his disposition. Psalm 145 declares, you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. As easy as you and I do this or that. That's how easy it is for God, not only to meet the needs, but it says even the desires of all living things, not just people, but animals, fish in the sea, birds that are of the air, and even plant life, whatever is alive. God not meets only needs, but even desires. That's how it's great, how awesome, how generous our God is. Do you ever ask God to open his hand unto you? As a child of God, we have, the, we have the privilege. We have even the authority to ask our Father to open his hand unto us, to meet our needs. The book of James says sometimes we have not because we ask not. We simply haven't asked. And other times it says we ask and do not receive because we ask with selfish motives, that my only desire is to spend it on my own pleasures and not really do something meaningful that would honor God. Yet in Psalm 37, we're told if we keep a soft heart, if I allow God to have his influence on me to where my desires start matching up with his desires, then I will ask things that are pleasing to him and he'll be pleased to give them to me and we have a win-win situation. How can you beat that? The second principle, generosity is a means for us to honor God. From Proverbs 3, it says, honor the Lord with your wealth and from the best part of everything you produce. By giving back a portion of what we have to God, of our income, we demonstrate that he can care for us. He can care for me and my family better than I can if I'm to hold on to it all because I'm trusting him and honoring him and I'm looking for his blessing rather than just what I can do with human energy. In our American money, we have a statement, just four, four simple words on our American money. It says, in God we trust. And if I truly trust God, I don't have a problem giving away, you know, my resources because I'm trusting him first. We have some friends here from uh, Southwest Florida visiting with us, Susan and her, her daughter, Danielle. And um, Susan's here because she's receiving treatment at MD Anderson. And it's a, it's a sad occasion, but we're, we're so thrilled to get time together because we, we serve together with them in our church in Florida. And her daughter, Danielle, is a student at the University of Miami studying, I think, biomedical engineering. Did I get that right? Isn't that, isn't that wild? Now, when I was a college student, Danielle, having a little extra spending cash really, really came in handy. I want you to have that. Yeah. <laughs> Would it be someday, could it be that Danielle will one day be here at MD Anderson helping people like her mother, using her resources, using her talent 
and intelligence in a, in, a, in a meaningful way? Maybe. God knows. But by honor him first, let him prove that. Prove it to us. Jesus warned us that we cannot serve two masters because we'll either hate one and love the other or we'll cling to one and despise the other. From Matthew 6. You know, money and material possessions are neither good nor evil of themselves. They are amoral. They're, they're, in a sense, they're a resource. They're neutral. Some people say, money is the root of all evil. No, that's not what the Bible says. In, in 1 Timothy 6.10, it actually states, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. See the difference? It's the love of money. Money itself is not evil, but the Bible warns us. There is a human tendency. We want to trust the tangible. We want something physical to put our hope in. And God says, put me first. And it's hard. It doesn't come naturally to us. Third principle is generosity impacts others for the purposes of God. God has given us resources that we can use them wisely and well and have impact, have meaning for him. In Psalm 112, it says, they share freely and give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor. Isn't that powerful? By being generous and giving freely, we're going to have influence and honor. What we do with our money and our, even our expendable resources beyond what maybe we give in tithes and offerings, what we do with it can make a difference in others. Dr. Rosalie D. Rose, not Roseanne, Rosanna Dana, but Dr. Rosalie D. Rose is a professor of communication at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And so happened uh, she was my professor in the, in the early 80s when I studied, I think, English literature. Anyways, Dr. De Rose grew up in a missionary family in Peru, serving impoverished people. And uh, in the 1980s, early 80s, you may remember, there weren't a lot of home video consoles like Xbox and Wii and, you know, whatever, let's see, whatever, PlayStation and th things like that. Uh, so a lot of us would go to arcades and remember dropping quarters into pinball machines and foosball tables and video games and remember what was the big one that came out space invaders remember space invaders galactica pac-man you know and we dropped a few quarters of different games i used to love the driving video machines well dr de rose heard that some of us students were dropping up to 50 dollars a week into these video arcades and one day she challenged us she said students do you know what you can do with 50 dollars in the country of peru didn't have a clue. It says, you can put a roof on a house. You can help a family get out of the elements, out of the cold and the wind and the rain. Said, Whoa, you know? That was over 30 years ago. It's, it stuck with me. You know, if money's mine, I can do what I want, you know, my choice. But is there, is there a wiser way? Is there a way I could use my money a little better or my resources could have a little more impact for God? According to 2 Corinthians 9.12, the Apostle Paul wrote, This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of, of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing with many expressions of thanks to God. So not only can we help people with our resources, but we can increase the level of thanks and praise to God. You know, how many times a day is the Lord's name taken in vain? 
And one of the things, the habits I have is I praise the Lord's name. If you hang around me long enough, you hear me say, praise the Lord. I feel one of our jobs as Christians, we can offset the negativity in God's name taken in vain by giving thanks and praise to God. That's a role I think God would have us to do. In 2010, in Southwest Florida, the housing bubble had fully burst. Many people were leaving their homes. They were just packing up and driving away. And uh, young families couldn't afford to live there. And old people, old people, I'm sorry, the senior citizens uh, on fixed incomes were really anxious about what it was doing to the economy. And, you know, there's a lot of little financial anxiety. And it seemed to me that the best cure for that was let's do something to help somebody. Maybe that's worse off than we were. And my wife and I had been to Nicaragua about four years previous, and guess what? We knew a lot of people that were worse off than we are. So we, we made a little challenge, and we put a team together, and we had a group of people, three families, and we had a couple in their 70s, folks. How many of you make the excuse, I'm too old to do something like this? In fact, the gentleman, Stan, uh, found out the heat was a little much for him, and he ended up doing some ironing while we were down there. And the folks, in the uh, Latin culture, a man with an apron ironing does not get a, a lot of uh, high status. In fact, some of the men there were, were making fun of Stan. But he served. He did. He did what uh, he felt called to do. We went down there. We spent a few months planning. We uh, raised some funds. We, we took in donations. We packed. And we did all this stuff. And then in uh, July of uh, 2010, we flew down to Managua. And we uh, spent seven days just doing whatever they needed alongside ministries outside Managua, run by a couple from Seattle, Washington. Um, they took an old baseball field and turned it into this complex and just grew and grew and grew it. And we, we spent a lot of time just doing labor. It was not glamorous. We were digging holes. We were helping to pour sidewalks. We were repairing this baseball field. We were doing landscaping. You're cutting branches and cutting grass and just, you know, it wasn't really glamorous, but it allowed us to run some baseball clinics, which we were able to share uh, the gospel in, uh, in, in the Spanish language and through interpreters give, give witness to God. And then later we took a, a truck ride up the mountain a couple of miles in this four-wheel drive truck bouncing around to this uh, shelter, woman's shelter called uh, Casa Esperanza in Spanish or in English that would be House of Hope. For those involved in starfish, Kenya, does that sound familiar? A house of hope. This was a shelter for women and their children, many of them who were being abused on the streets of Managua, and they had a safe place to get away from that. And uh, while, while being there, we brought these uh, baby dolls and beanie babies, and they rang a bell. The, the women didn't come out, but the, many of the little girls came out. And they, they huddled in the corner. They were afraid of us. So all the men kind of backed up. We let the ladies, you know, kind of talk with them and start passing out Beanie Babies and the, you know, the leaders explained to us, you know, explained them why we were there and they started to feel safe and I had a, this whole stack of, you know, Beanie Babies and I was just going to go around and start giving them and something said to me, hey, rather than just sticking one in their face, why don't you let them choose one, you know? And it occurred to me, how, how often do these little girls get a chance to actually choose something for themselves? I went around, did that. And just let them take their time. Pick a little beanie baby. Tossed in a corner, probably tossed in the trash by some children. 
But these little girls, they, that was a, a, a very important, very important moment. A way that we were able to show love and generosity. A very simple way. Later, we brought some sports equipment to an orphanage for boys and played some baseball with them and did some other things. And then we, we came, you know, toward the end of our trip, um, I'd brought a, I had brought a couple cheap watches. You don't wear any jewelry down there because you probably get it ripped off. They, I never felt physically, uh, physically, you know, in danger, but they tell you don't wear anything that would be appealing because people steal it. So I didn't wear any jewelry. All I had, I brought a couple cheap watches with. One I gave to the leader there, a guy named Tomas, one of the uh, assistant leaders. And I had, one, I had the watch I was wearing, and the day we're leaving, I said, Tomas, you think Miguel, the security guard, you think he would like the watch. He said, oh yeah, that'd be great for him. So, you know, I, I went over and gave Miguel, he thanked me profusely, and said, no big deal, man. And uh, so we were packing up, and we're, we're heading out, and uh, Miguel is there opening the gate at the compound to, to drive out, and he sees me in the van, and he starts running. He's running alongside, pointing to the watch, thanking me over and over. I was embarrassed, folks. How much I paid for that watch? About 10 bucks, okay? When's the last time a grown man ran alongside of you thanking you over and over again for a simple $10 gift? We can have more impact than we realize. We can do maybe a little better with some of our expendable income, folks. You don't have to give it all away, but think of what you may do, what little you may use. Have a little more impact Give God the praise. Fourth principle, generosity opens our lives to the rewards of God. If you are faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large things. If you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest in greater responsibilities. Jesus said, you know, he who is faithful, little will be given much. If we want more from God, as I ask him for it, I should take a moment to consider what am I doing with what he's already given me? Am I using it well? Am I honor him? And am I being generous? And am I using it to have impact and make a difference for him? Larry Hamrick was a successful uh, salesman in uh, Columbia, South Carolina area. And when I lived there, Larry mentored and discipled me for two or three years. And Larry, he'd say to me, you know, he was well off and I was a little, I was a little, uh, little envious of him. And Larry must have picked up on this. He says, Tom, he says, God will give more money you know, more resources to you and other people if you use it wisely. And that's stuck with me now. 25 years ago, or maybe, maybe it was 20 years ago, hang on. 2000, or I'm sorry, 123096, this was in 1996. Larry gave me this devotional book, My Utmost for His high, Highest, Oswald Chambers. And he wrote two scripture verses in it. 1 John 4, 4, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them. Why? Greater is he who's in you than he that's in the world, right? The second one was 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God will generously provide all that you need. Then you will always have everything you need, and you'll have plenty left over to share with others. Larry, his friend, or Larry and his wife, Shirley? Grace. Larry and Grace, they were generous people. They were well off. They had kids. They were active in our church. And they were making a difference on, on people like me. Praise God. It's not just a nice idea. It's scriptural. 
And it's not just for now, it's, it's for eternity. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says that there is an appointed time we must all stand before Christ to be judged. And this judgment seat of Christ is not for salvation. The judgment unto salvation is the great right, white throne judgment where Jesus separates the goat from the sheep, okay? This judgment seat is for believers, not for salvation, but a judgment of what we've done with our salvation, okay? And it says, we will each receive whatever we deserve, whether good or evil, that's been done for us in this earthly body. And the literal translation would be more like the things that have been done through the body, okay? And you get the intent here. It's not so much what I do, it's the spirit, it's the heart of why I do it, the motive. We, we know the motives of our heart. We may fool some of the people some of the time. You can't fool all the people all the time, and we can't fool God anytime, right? He knows my heart, okay? And he says he will reward me for faithfully serving him, both now and in the life to come. We don't want to lose out on it. Missionary Jim Elliott, who died in Ecuador, reaching out to an Indian, native Indian tribe, uh, he was spared to death. He had written prior to his death that he is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep, the tangible things of this life, for the things he cannot lose, the eternal rewards and kingdom of God. We're no fools when we do well with our resources to please God. We bless now and in the age to come. I want you to bear with me a little bit. I'm going to take you on a quick journey quick journey with uh, uh, automobiles. I was a uh, young man, I was big into what they called the muscle cars of the late 60s and early 70s, and I want to show you a little photo journey here. On my, my journey toward, or from greediness toward generosity, okay? I say towards generosity because I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm making progress in the area, and by God's grace, I made, I made pretty good progress. I want to start with the, the first car I owned was a 1968 Pontiac Firebird. Remember these puppies? Nice cars. This is not my actual car. I had a 350. This is a 400. I didn't have these little air scoops, but it was a nice car. I had a tan vinyl roof. Remember the vinyl roofs of the 60s? Uh, it was a nice car. I liked that car. I enjoyed it a lot. And uh, I was working at a gas station for $2 an hour. I saved my money. Kids, how many say, oh, I can't work for that. I can't, I can't do anything. I can't make money. Hey, Save your money. You'd be surprised what you can do. I thought I was a big man because my, my friends were working at Burger King. Know how much they were getting? A buck seventy-five. <laughs> so I was pretty, I was pretty big. Dude, I bought this car, liked it, but it wasn't fast enough. I wanted more power. So I ended up getting a, a 1968 Chevy Chevelle. And this is this car is very close to what I had. It had the Kreger magnesium wheels. It, uh, it was a high performance car. The engine had been all revved up and it was really fast. It passed up everything but the gas station. I got about eight, gal eight miles per gallon and uh, it broke down a lot. It was very frustration and it was, it was kind of a tough time in my life. It, it, I don't have really a lot of happy memories. One memory I have is that I, I almost raced a uh, Illinois State Trooper with this car. You, you all remember the, the Blues Brothers movie? Uh, Y'all seen that movie? And remember it took place in Northern Illinois and all the, the cop cars? Remember those cop cars, if you go back, they had stripes on them. Those Illinois State Trooper cars had stripes on them, right? So I'm on Route 53 heading south. They just come off Dundee Road, if anybody knows where that is, in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. And I'm just cruising along in my Chevelle, and I see this car come up alongside me, and I see what appears to be a racing strike. 
So I'm about to gun this thing. I think this guy wants to race me. I'm about to gun it and just, I'm going to leave him in the dust. I think a little glance, ooh, Illinois State Police. Maybe I won't do that. We'll just kind of ease down a little bit and let him go by. Woo, I wonder how that would have went if I, there's a saying, you may outrun the car, but you can't outrun the Motorola. Remember that? You can't, your radio, they're going to, even if you beat him, there's probably somebody else down the road that's going to get you. So I was glad to get rid of this car. It was very frustrating. It wasn't reliable. I learned that in transportation, reliability, if you've got to go to school and work and do things, you want to be responsible, reliability is more important than how, how fast it goes. So I bought my third car, and this was my, one of my favorite cars. This was a 71 Firebird, and this is pretty close to what I had. Would you believe my car was prettier than this? Instead of the white stripe, see this white stripe? Instead of the white stripe, I did a custom paint job. I had this dark mist, kind of mist paint down the side, over the top, down the other side. I had some writing done on the hood scoop. I had this polyurethane coat where you didn't have to wax it. You just rinsed it off and it shined. I really liked this. It was a nice car. And I was working now as a, as a brake and front end mechanic and making good money. I was living at home. And even with this, this beautiful car, folks, I was not a happy camper. I had, I had a hard heart during this time. And, uh, you know, this car, as nice as it was, uh, my heart wasn't in a good place. I, you know, I had more expendable income back then than I do now. I was single, living at home, making, I was making as much money as the 40-year-old mechanic that trained me, who had a wife and a couple kids, you know. And yet my heart was hard. I remember our service manager coming out, and I was doing, uh, I was down in the, the pit, we called it, doing front-end alignments. And, and Dick comes over and says, Tom, would you like to give to the United Way campaign? And I'm really, I'm ashamed of this. You know what I said? I don't make enough money to be giving it away. I don't make enough. You know, I blew him off. I might have been making more money than he was. And he was a married guy. Folks, my heart was in a bad place. It was dark. I was in a dark place. I wasn't close to God at all. And people say, oh, Tom, I don't believe that. You're such a nice guy. I don't believe that. Do you believe God can change your heart? Okay? Isn't that what scripture says? He gives us a new heart. He takes away that heart of stone. He gives us a heart of flesh. Is there still some rocks in there? Yeah, there's a few pebbles that still need some work. But God has brought me a long way, folks, okay? He does change. He does change. He changes from within. And when things start changing from within, our behaviors and our life starts changing also. I like this car so much, I used to rent a garage and store it in the winter. And I bought another car to drive, and that was a 71 uh, Pontiac Le Mans, which is going to come up on the screen here. And this car, you know, it was an okay car, but I considered it a beater. It was nothing like my Firebird. I just, I didn't care about it. I just drove it around, but it, it was a good car. And during this time, um, my, my, my values were changing. I remember I had come to faith in Jesus Christ in the spring of uh, 79, right? And uh, my, my values and ideas started changing. I, I was baptized, and about six months later, we were singing this song, which you may recognize. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. You know the rest? And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I'm standing there singing the song. This has happened. I realized my values had changed. I didn't mind driving this beater car around as much as I used to. I ended up selling the Pontiac, the fire. I, I sold the Firebird because I wanted to go back to school. I wanted to learn more. God had changed my heart. He changed my mind. I wanted, I wanted to do things. And I remember the morning that uh, the uh, gentleman and his son came to pick up the Firebird. 
And that car that had meant so much to me, I was rinsing it off and getting it ready, and they pull up and made the transaction. transaction. And the gentleman says to me, he says, do you want to kiss it? You know, he knew the card meant a lot to me. And, you know, part of me just out of fun, I was going to kiss it. And I said, no, let it go. No, I mean, yeah, it's nice. I liked it. No, no, no longer. It, it, it had lost that pull that it had on me. Sure. I, do I like nice stuff? Yes, I like nice stuff. But can I get by without it when I need to? Yes, I can. There's more important things. This beater here, this car, I drove all over the country. Colorado, California, even came through Texas, visited my cousin in, in uh, Dallas back in the early 80s. Uh, this car I used to use when I was serving at Willow Creek Church when they still met in the movie theater. I was on the setup and takedown crew. Uh, you know what time we started setting up at that movie theater? 4 a.m., okay? All the, we had a full band, we had drama, media, all the equipment, the lighting towers and the cables had to be run through the whole building. They all had to be taped down. You couldn't draw all that amperage from one circuit. We were running cables up the aisle behind the candy counters. We were running cables into the bathrooms. We were drawing power from all these sources, taping them all down and have it ready for a 7 a.m. rehearsal, right? When the musicians and everybody's the drama people started showing up. And folks, do you know how cold it is in a January morning at 4 a.m. in Chicago? It's around zero or below, right? I remember driving from my house about five miles in this car, and I'm shivering the whole way there, right? And just about the time I can feel a little heat coming out, I'm pulling into the parking lot, right? And oh, I just want to sit here for a while. Well, when the guys would see me, right? They're over there by the truck, and come on, come on. No, I want to stay here and feel the heat for a while. But this car had some fond memories. One time, believe it or not, I had some buddies and I, we were running around on New Year's Eve, and the, and the thing died, and we couldn't get it going. And I got some mechanical background. I could not get it going for the life of me. So we all, we all stopped. We raised the hood. We put our hands on the air. Remember the big old air cleaner? And we prayed. Got back in. Bam. Started right up. <laughs> Go figure, okay? Had a spiritual experience. I sold that car when I went off to, uh, to Bible college. Didn't need it anymore. And then... Uh, I was in the Air Force later, and I needed a car. I didn't need a car while I lived on base, but when I had a group of Christian guys that wanted me to move off base and live with them, and I, my roommate was uh, a scuzzbag, too big of a term. I'm, what's a nicer word? Kind of a jerk. What, what, you know, I wanted to be a good influence on this guy, but it became apparent that he was dragging me down more than I was bringing him up. So I said, yeah, I'm going to move off this guy. So I bought this car. It was a 1975 Chevy Le Mans. It's called like a glorified... Uh, Chevette, or like almost like a, a Vega. Um, this car was a piece of junk, okay? This one looks much better than mine. The door was falling off, wouldn't start half the time, but it got me, it got me back and forth. Folks, this is the reason why in the 1970s, Americans started buying foreign cars because of this kind of stuff that was being turned out, okay? But it got me, it got me through a period of time, but I had to get rid of it. And then I bought actually what probably is my favorite car. This this is a 1980 Ford Fiesta, light blue, same as I had. Now, you might say, that's, that's a pretty rough-looking car. Well, mine was actually a little rougher because I had had an accident on the right side, and the passenger door wouldn't open. You know what I did with this car? I used this car to pick up a little girl named Julie Hertz, sitting right over there. On our first date, I picked her up. She had to climb through the driver's door over the stick shift into the passenger seat, right? Now, when I had those muscle cars and thought I was tough stuff, I always wondered if the girls really liked me or if they liked my car. I knew Julie wasn't after my car. <laughs> it was obvious I had no money. 
She must love me. This car has led to a 30-year, we're in our 30th year of marriage right now. So what's the moral of the story, guys? You know, the, the, the girlfriends, the relationships I had with all the muscle cars and trying to be so cool, they all ended in disaster and pain and hurt. And, uh, you know, and God uh, blessed this little machine and, and brought this wonderful lady into my life and our, our son David there too, as part of byproduct of that. Praise the Lord. What kind of car do I currently drive? I drive a 2003 Chevy Impala, 13 years old. It runs well, burns a little oil, but it's a little bigger than I like. How many of y'all go down to the medical center parking garages? You know, they make those spaces just a little wider than a mini bike, right? I mean, about this big. And you got, excuse the expression, you got Bubba's that have their extended cab, you know, dually truck with the, you know, with the, you know, the trail hitch sticking out, and you're trying to get through there. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to midsize here eventually. Most places I lived, uh, you had special license plates if you owned a truck. In Texas, you have special license plates if you don't own a truck. Do you realize that? It's, all, it's a little different here, but, but I like it. I'm not complaining, okay? Thank you. Thank you for your hospitality. Keep it coming, by the way. All right, everything's big here. Okay, I believe biblical generosity is more than just money. It's a lifestyle, folks. It encompasses, you know, all we do. You know, my wife and I, we have never made a lot of money. We don't have a lot by the, you know, world standards, let's say. Maybe it was Americans would define it. But we live in the nicest house we've, we've ever had right now. We're, we're very happy. And we've always thought to be generous with what we do have, and particularly in the area of hospitality. And one of the places we learned that was in northwest Ohio. We spent... Uh, seven years in a small town there, and it was, they had roots in the Amish, German, Mennonites, you know, community. And these people, they weren't flashy. They didn't throw a lot of money around, but they were generous, you know? We'd wake up Saturday morning, there'd be a dozen eggs, there'd be a, you know, basket of berries, you know? A farmer would sl slaughter a steer, and he comes and hey, go buy the processing plant. They got a quarter steer package for you, you know? Um, you know, they would invite us over to swim in the pool, to have cookouts. Yeah, they knew we didn't have family around, so they'd have us over on holidays to celebrate with, with their family. They did a lot of nice stuff. They'd invite us to the lake house, right? You know, ride jet skis or, you know, have a cookout, go water skiing. They were very, you know, just generous people. And it was really something. And one of the ways they did it was they, they seldom bought anything new. I would visit some of these, you know, do visitation in some of these farmhouses in the community. And you go in there, folks, it was a little airy. It was like a black and white Alfred Hitchcock movie from the 1950s. All the furniture was immaculate, and it wasn't bought anytime recently. It's like they, they, they really took care of things, and, they didn't, and they don't, you don't replace it unless it's really worn out. But they were dear, sweet people. In fact, pie, you talk about pie, do they love pie? Go there tomorrow, I bet you. Archbold, Ohio, there are going to be lots of pies uh, in that town. They love pies. Great cooks, generous people, wonderful experience. So, and I don't say this so you, oh, feel sorry for the pastors, do things for them. No, the pastors at Gateway, we're, we're in good shape. We're fine. Some of the other staff members might appreciate it. There's uh, young families. There's, uh, you know, single moms. There's our single dads, single parents. Or, there's singles. There's young people, there's college students, there's widows, there's widowers, widowers. You know, there's lots of people that we can show some acts of kindness and generosity. Think outside the box, okay? It really is a joyous win-win when we think about how we can use what we have to show goodness and generosity 
to others. A generous lifestyle is a win-win. Julie and I both have the gift of hospitality. We both come from large families. We don't mind having people in our house. We enjoy it. Sure, it's a little work. That's the only time Julie can get me to do housework. She says, Tom, you invited all these people. Don't you think you should sweep? Okay, dear, I should. So that's how she gets me to do housework, lets me invite people over. And we have a good time. Doesn't cost much. You know, we usually do a cookout and have people bring sides like we're doing here at Gateway. We play games, we do fellowship, we have a great time. And we, we enjoy it. It's a great way to meet people. We can have a good time while blessing others and God blessing us. Just want to ask yourself three questions to think outside the box. There is no box this morning, okay? I'm not talking about money. I'm talking more about possessions, right? What do you have? The first question. What do you enjoy doing with it? And who would be blessed by doing it with you, right? Pretty simple. Doesn't have to be real complicated. Do you have to invite somebody with you every time? No. Occasionally, though, think outside. Who are those people? Probably within this auditorium, and you're going to see sometime today that would be blessed just by a little simple act of generosity and kindness. And scripture says God shows favor to those who are kind. And the bottom line, folks, we can never outgive the one who said it is more blessed to give than receive, can we? It all belongs to Him. We're just managing it, right? It all belongs to him. We can't outgive God. There's no lack. There's never a lack on his side. Okay? And if we have a lack, we can pour our heart out to him. We can help one another through those tough times. If you want somebody to pray with you after the service, our prayer time team will be down front here. If you're a first-time visitor or recent to, to Gateway and you want to say hello, we're going to have a group of us right outside that entrance there. If you're growing in your faith and you want some materials, head out that door to our next steps resource center and josh why are you sitting stand up <laughs> and josh mauser right over there for the volunteer so there's four options for you to choose some before you leave here let's uh, let's bow in a word of prayer before we close father god thanks for loving us thank you lord that you are a good god everything we have you either have given us or you've given us the ability to get it it all belongs to you thank you for loving us god and father we say a special prayer for those who are struggling this morning Within this auditorium, there's some people that are stressed out financially, and maybe they're discouraged and don't know where that next bill, how they're going to pay it, or what the resources are coming from God. So we pray for that. We pray for you to open your hand. We pray for us to open our hand. We pray, Lord, we will be a people that is pleasing to you. We do it with thankful hearts and a generous spirit, God. When it's all said and done, may your will be done in Jesus Christ. For his name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.